We are back for another edition of the Hooper's Almanac. Mitch, it is Sunday, NFL Championship Sunday. Um, exciting day for all the betters out there, you and I. Mitch, um, your brother, Evan Sal, is maybe the world's biggest Eagles fan. Um, so I know he's stressed out today. Um, it's it's a big day for that, but it's also a big day um, for for the NBA, the, the 76ers, the Philadelphia 76ers of all teams, um, with, that we thought going into the season were going to be really good. Had the terrible start. I was on this podcast um, and basically saying Doc Rivers is going to be fired after the right. first <laughs> couple weeks of the season. And all of a sudden, they're second in the East and sort of the team we thought they were going to be going into the season. So the Eagles definitely you know, in a good spot, but the Sixers are now in a good spot. So the city of Philadelphia is absolutely loving it. Um, what, what are your thoughts right now on the Philadelphia 76ers and, and also how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Like you said, it's a uh, championship Sunday for uh, the NFL. Um, you brought up my brother, big Eagles fan, not a big Sixers fan. Um, nope. But speaking about the Eagles just a little bit, he's sad because he's going to have to miss most of this game. Uh, his fiance is flying in from Florida and uh, he will be picking her up from the airport. And so he uh, he's going to catch a little bit of the first quarter. So he's going to watch it. In the cell in the, in the cell phone lot while he waits for her, um, and then he's gonna hopefully catch the fourth quarter, but hopefully catch the last bit of the game. Um, but hopefully he doesn't even have to worry about it. The Eagles are just killing the Niners, so we don't even have to worry about that. Um, when it comes to the Sixers team, though, on this end, um, no one on this po- between me and you, no one hates the Sixers more than me. Um, and I, I think that I being the Celtics' biggest rival, um, being one of the teams that ha- a team that has. Joel Embiid, who bottom five least favorite player for me, uh, just because of who he plays for, but also James Harden, who I've never been a big fan of, and just of how he plays. That being said, this team is one of the deepest teams in the NBA right now, and it, it hurts mm-hmm. to say that out loud. You have an incredible starting lineup, and now you've got the malleability of bringing Tyrese Maxey off the bench, is what they and that's what they've done recently, which has been great, and I think that's been a great move, and for him to be just even that. Um, available or wanting to do that which is, is pretty cool for that team and so i am i'm impressed uh for because doc has had this ability to work with big personalities in the past mm-hmm. um but i am impressed just with how well this team has bounced back even and it even played well with how many injuries that they have had this year so i'm excited but I'm also just kind of nervous knowing how well this team has done in the past and how well they can perform in the regular season to compare their playoff, which we will right. get to that later. I have their playoff history um, okay. spelled out for you in a little bit, but I, I am interested to see uh, how this team does just as the season goes on. What do you, what do you think of this team? Yeah. I mean, they're ro- looking at on paper preseason. I thought they were one of the deepest teams in the NBA I think I would have had the the Pelicans slightly above them, um, right. but they're right there with them. And now we're kind of seeing that depth come to the forefront because of some of the injuries they had. I mean, Harden went down for a short period of time, but Maxi was out for a, quite a long time. And that allowed D'Anthony Melton to really step up, as you said, now into the starting lineup. He was a big offseason acquisition for them. Um, and He's been great defensively. Right. He can space the floor for you. He's not a bad off-ball ball handler, but he's not as ball dominant as Maxi is in the Maxi Harden combination. While it worked offensively most of the time, um, was really tough defensively. Right. Um, so I think that's helped him out a lot. Um, PJ Tucker was a huge offseason acquisition for them as well. And when you look at his minute splits, I mean, he's starting, but he's playing basically under 20 minutes a game, maybe just over that. Yeah. Um, and Max, he's actually playing like starters minutes. Um, yeah. And that's what I like about so their lineup really is so one. malleable. It is so malleable. Right. And you're not, and that's one thing they got Tucker for was you yep. can play defense when you need him, but you're also not trusting him to take more than five shots a game. He's only averaging, I think like three, three and a half points a game right now for that team. And yep. as a starter, which you'd rarely see that. So it's, it, it's an interesting combination. Yeah. And I think they'll probably ramp up his minutes in the playoffs and whatnot. I mean, he's damn near 40 years old, right? Um, so he's getting up that. there. Might as well save some miles on him. But um, the other thing that we can't forget is Joel Embiid is playing like an MVP again. And yeah. while we love to hate on Joel Embiid for how reliant he is at the free throw line and all of these other things, and sometimes, you know, night-to-night basis, 
he can be the most dominant player in the NBA, but also just be incredibly frustrating to watch and just, yes. you know, when he doesn't have it, like there's never a game with Jokic where he doesn't have it. Like he's always going to at least be making other people better. Like with Embiid, right. he doesn't necessarily do that. Um, which I think is what separates him from, in my mind, from what I think are the best players in the NBA and Giannis, Jokic, KD, like even if they're off scoring wise, they always make their teammates better and have an impact elsewhere. But yeah. he hasn't had many of those nights recently. He's been right. uh, insane. Uh, I think he's the leading scorer in the NBA right now. Uh, he's um, second behind Doncic. Okay, just, just behind Doncic. I mean, he dropped 47 on Jokic. Oh, actually, no, he just edged him because of last night. Oh, um, thank you. Yes, you're he had right. 40, 47 yesterday against Jokic and what was a win against the Nuggets at home. So now he's averaging just over 30, almost 34 points per game. Yeah. 50%, 53% from the field, 36% from the uh, three-point line, 86% from the free throw line. And, of course, uh, second in NBA and free throw attempts per game. So he definitely lives at the line, but he's as physically dominant as any any player. I remember, Mitch, when we were going over like your all-time top 25 and we had like that physical dominant category with Shaq and the comparison with Giannis potentially getting to that area. I yeah. think Embiid is probably in that category. I don't know if he'll ever get to like top 25 all time, but in terms of just his build and the way he plays, like he's definitely in that group. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um, and that, and it pains me to say that with all burning passion. Um, but he, he has proven himself trying to remember since the 17 18 year he hasn't had like long stretches of injury he hasn't had like you know when, when he missed his first two years uh, total in the nba just because he was injured um he also was a leading scorer in the nba last year which is impressive and hasn't been done since shack and so as a center um averaging a double double 33 uh, i mean like you said almost 34 and 10 um the other thing about this team Aaron, you know my theory um, about three guys over 20 points in a game. This team has three guys who average over 20 points in a game. It, uh, Embiid, Harding, Harden, Harding, Harden, and Maxi all averaging over 20 points a game, which is super impressive. Um, and I think Maxi, I think he's started too many games now to be officially like considered a sixth man as of right now. I'm sure that can change as the season goes on, but even still, you think about how many I mean times you can rely on one of these three guys to throw up 20 if not two of these three guys to throw up 20 a game in in a game that's it's impressive to have that and that's what made those Warriors teams so difficult to guard was like okay which of which of Clay Katie and Steph is going to go off tonight and have over 20 or 30 points in this game and so that's what makes them so difficult not only that if six guys who are average over double digits um, with with Shake Milton, Melton, and then DeAnthony Melton and Tobias Harris all averaging over double digits. Um, it's a, an impressive collection group of guys. And, you know, one thing I worry about is you bring up the defense whenever you have uh, Harden and Maxi both out there together. I definitely agree. Because then if you're doing that, you got to have uh, Melton out there as well to sort of I, – I worry about this team's defense. Um, you've seen um, just how well they can play. Uh, as a team offensively, but, you know, look at the past few weeks. I mean, their only game where they let up over, I mean, kept it under double digits was against the trailblazers um, this past Thursday or sorry, two Thursdays ago. Um, and outside of that, they've let up 127 to the Kings, 133 to the nets, 119 to the nuggets, um, 110 to the Clippers and 112 to the Lakers, a bunch of games over 110 points. And that's like, that's what I worry about the team. I don't worry about them scoring the ball. It's how well the other team can get points in the – I mean, get buckets as well. And so I worry about this team's yeah. defense a lot, and so that's where I kind of get my worries. But that's where I – that's my only issue with this team right now. I don't worry about them scoring. It's how well they can do it on the other end. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, you know, when you look at their stars in the starting lineup, I mean, DeAnthony Melton and P.J. Tucker – are really solid role player defenders, some of the best in the league for sort of what their role is. But right. I think Embiid's when he wants to be a pretty good defender. Um, Harris certainly, too. certainly menacing at the at the rim. Harris right. moves really well for his size. But then yeah. you have yeah, Harden, Maxi, like, and then some of the bench players who are coming in and scoring the ball, like Milton, Niang, Harrell, 
are yeah. just complete liabilities whenever yeah. they're on the court. Like they aren't really giving any minutes to Matisse Thibel anymore because he's just not does nothing other than play defense. Right. Um, <laughs> so that, that ship's kind of sailed for them and they've opted for some of these scorers off the bench, which I think is fine, but I think there's still some moves to be made at the deadline. I worry about them when they come up against these tough teams, like the Celtics and the Bucks in a long physical series even the Nets. Even the Nets, yeah. I I don't know if I would pick them in that series. Now, I think they're obviously impressive offensively, and they have probably two of the best players in in the NBA on the same team, on the same floor, right. uh, especially offensively. So, I, you know, the, I'd probably say they have a better two-man group than the Bucs right now. Yes. The Nets and the Celtics are really close. But, I mean, when you have those two guys together, you can win any series if, if you're on your A game. So you bring up series, Aaron, and I'm glad you did. Let, let's take a nice little peek into the Philadelphia 76ers uh, playoff history, shall we? Aaron, since the 2000, how, since 2000, how many Eastern Conference finals have the 76ers played in? Uh, well, for sure with AI in 2001. Yes. Um, I think that might be the only one, so I'll go with one. You are correct. How many yep. times since 1984 have they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals? Uh, when when was when did Dr. J leave the Sixers? Uh, that would be 84. Okay, uh, so I'll go with two. You're correct. Only two. <laughs> they they have made it two times for some historic franchise to have some incredible players. You had. Barkley and Malone in the late eight, in the mid eighties to late eighties, the two, mm-hmm. the nineties were rough for them. I won't disagree with that. That was a really rough time. You did make it to the finals with AI lost to the Lakers, but then there have been so many times where they've made it to the conference semifinals. I think I counted six or seven times since 2000 that they've made it to the semifinals and lost. There were, there was a year with uh, Iguodala where they made it to the semi or one or two years with Iguodala that they made it to the semifinals lost. Mm-hmm like three or four times with Embiid now that they've made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I, lost. It, yeah, I think it's at least back-to-back years. Um, maybe, maybe, plus maybe the years Raptors now. years. Plus the Raptor yeah. year where they where they lost in the Kawhi shot. Plus then the year before when they lost the Celtics in five games in what was one of my favorite series ever. Um, but, like, I, I look at this team, and it's still a team that has – had great success in the regular season. It's the playoff success that is not carried over. And our buddy, Mike Carr, every year, every year comes to me, Mitchell, I think the Sixers this year are going to do it. I'm like, Mike, why do you, why do you badger me with this bull crap? I don't want to hear it right now. I, this team is my least favorite team. Why do you do this to me? Just, and you know, it's going to get a rise out of me. Yep. Every year. This was the first time he has not come to me this year and said, the Sixers are going to be good. This is the, this year he came to me and said, the Sixers are awful to watch, which mean you both agree that they are. And while I'm going to see them sometime in mid-March, it's still going to bother me. <laughs> so my thing is this, and we all, and you know, well, we'll bring up other things. We have, we've, there's every podcast when you come playoff time talks about James Harden's playoff success. And yeah. it kind of ran true last year too. Like he, ha- he did not have a great playoffs. He had a good one or two games but not a great consistent playoffs. Joel Embiid happens to just somehow have some sort of injury because he can't play. I mean, we, I talked about earlier how, you know, we haven't had seen that major injury from him, but he always gets nicked up in like yeah. after like all these times. Um, we have Tyrus Maxey who had a great playoffs last year, but even still he's a young guy. Harris has had some playoff issues. Um, the guy, so you're trusting, I'm trusting in is Tyrese Maxey to play well the entire yeah. series. Um I worry. He's definitely the X factor. I mean, against the Heat when Embiid was out last conference semifinals, um, I think Maxi was their top guy because that was kind oh, yeah. of the ghost of James Harden at that point. He had returned from the injury and like post trade was just kind of weird. So Maxi was their spark plug. I think he had twenty plus in both those games. Embiid was out. Yeah, and and Harden had a good game uh, against yeah. the Heat, if if I remember correctly. Um, yep. The other, but so. My thing is this, they are a deep team. And Aaron, I, I have started to make my list of one thing we talked about off air was make uh, like, who are your eight or nine guys that you're going to trust in the playoffs? I like this team's eight or nine guys. This is a lot different than the past few years where I'm going to be trusting Corkmoss to be coming off the bench and trying <laughs> to play any sort of semblance of defense or at any sort of ball handling. I don't have to worry about that. 
I think this addition of DeAnthony Melton has been great, like you said. I think the addition of Montrez Harrell, while, yes, a liability on defense, is some sort of center that you can throw out there that's not named DeAndre Jordan or, like, no, like, ghost of their past or Dwight Howard. I'm not have to worry about that. Or even Al Horford the year he was there. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about, okay, you're going to throw up points. Can you have the defense to back it up? And not only that, can your stars be stars in the playoffs? And so – like I said, there's this history, this franchise-changing team in the Sixers. Yet you've only made it to the Eastern Conference twice in the past 40 years. Be better. So, I don't know. Yeah. it's. I mean, and their path is just tough. I mean, if they were in the oh, Western yeah. Conference, I would – they might be my pick to make the NBA finals. Like they would be, I think they would at least make the conference finals because yeah. they have advantages over teams out in the West. Like the golden state warriors aren't really built to handle a guy like Embiid. I mean, they can surely try to double team him, but that's going to leave open all these other great offensive players that we've ticked through. Um, the nuggets, we just saw him manhandle Jokic. Like that was, that'd be an awesome series matchup. I think Jokic would get him a lot of times too, but it's a tough matchup physically for Jokic to defend and be back and forth. Yep. Um, and then at the other positions, I think they're pretty even. Um, I would maybe give the edge to the nuggets just so slightly on a shooting basis. I think just the three point shooting is there for Denver, but some of these other teams, I would say the Sixers are better matched in the West, but in the East, think of the physical bigs that Embiid's going to have to go up against every night. Even if you run into a team like the heat who haven't been good this year, Bam is really, really good at defending Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to be tough. The Cavs are going to be really tough. The Bucks have Lopez and Giannis and, um, and Bobby Porter. If you want to count, no <laughs> right? I mean, and then you have the Celtics with Williams is now healthy, so you have Williams and Horford. Um, I mean, every team they're going to play, even in the first round, probably unless you play like the fucking Knicks or something. I mean, they even have guys you get throw out there too, though. Yeah, I mean, I mean no, yeah. none of those guys are slouches on that next team, and they gave them trouble this past week too. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just a the East is really tough. Um, so it's 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 hard to take them over the top teams, I think, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're certainly in the conversation, and like you said, the rebound is awesome because everybody wanted to just, including me, uh, wouldn't just completely, you know sacrifice their season after after the start that they had because they just had such high expectations um but now it seems like they've at least righted the ship in the regular season and honestly one thing i wanted to mention is i think joel Embiid might be the mvp right now uh if if you stop voting today after that Jokic debacle like that stuff matters i mm-hmm. i go back and forth because we don't get opportunities to see the best players in the NBA really play against each other. Like the other night, the Nuggets played the Bucks, and it was on the second leg of a back-to-back for Denver. So they benched all of their guys, including Jokic. Right. And that was the only chance we really had to see Jokic and Giannis. There's another game, I think later in the season where they play each other, but you, we don't get many of those opportunities. So when they do come together, I feel like the voters would really value that matchup. Like that's the I one chance you get to see the eye test of your top two, top three MVP right. candidates and Embiid outclassed him. So not to mention Embiid has been on the edge of winning MVP the past couple of years. So right now, just from a betting perspective, interesting, Joel Embiid is plus 330 on FanDuel to win MVP. Jokic is plus 100. After that game, not to mention just the voter fatigue of trying to win three in a row, I would I would bet on Embiid over Jokic every day right now. I just I just think that's where the wins are going to be turning if he stays healthy. I agree with you. It feels like you know how Harden had those two or three years in a row where he, um, just won. He, he was second in voting to the uh, Westbrook and I can't remember. Oh, and Curry. Um, I feel like it has that kind of feel to it this year. Like it, it might be voter fatigue for sure. But you're like, like you said, Embiid, if he leads the NBA in scoring two years in a row, it's kind of hard not to give it to him. Um, I would not be voting for him, but that's just out of pure spite. And I probably should just check that in like three minutes here. Um, But still, I worry just a little bit about. I worry. I do worry about voter fatigue when it comes to Jokic, because I think those should be your top two choices right now. Um, 
you can say Doncic all you want, um, and then talk to me whenever his team is like, you know, top four in the Western Conference, uh, and not fighting for a playing game. They're eighth, yeah, they're sliding right now. I mean, thing with counterpoint is Jokic and the Nuggets last year were sixth, and he still won playing game. Oh, you you made it right. out of the playing game spot. So my right. my I think my clarification to it is, you can lead a team all you want. Just make it to that six seed or higher, and then I'm a happy man. And I don't know why that is. I feel like I'm Bill Simmons. Like you have to play this certain amount of games. No, it's not that. It's the unwritten rules. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I. Anyways. Uh. Yeah. The Mavericks just make it to the make it out of the play in, and then then we can start talking about Doncic MVP. Yeah, I agree, and I just I just think it's interesting price there after that sort of game like. I think all those awards are just really storyline based and like you want to concoct your stories and people will remember that moment where Embiid dropped 47 and they beat the number one team in the Western conference and the back-to-back MVP and Embiid just looked better. Like that's going to be a talking point, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, interesting, interesting move for the Sixers right now. Definitely going to be considered more seriously by us. Moving forward, they're 11 and three, 11 and two, one of the two, uh, since the start of the new year. So they've been rolling. Um, I think when we talked about it on the, at the beginning on the intro pod, when we were talking over unders, the Sixers' easiest part of their schedule was the beginning of the year. And that's when they played their worst basketball. And their schedules only got harder and they've started playing better. So it's, it's pretty interesting to see that, uh, trajectory as well. But, we will see. They're second in the Eastern Conference as it stands now, uh, on the heels of your Boston Celtics, Mitch. Uh, so we'll we'll see. Yeah, who have lost out. four in a row. Who I'm just oh sorry, they won last night. They did win last night, but they did. It, and they a controversial, did. controversial win against the Lakers. I don't care. Uh, you saw if anyone saw my tweet, you know how I feel about that. I don't care. It's the fact that LeBron did his, the most dramatic of his of his struts. Oh, I think oh, that's my favorite thing. I saw something that was. I was like, he wasn't even this upset when J.R. Smith threw away an NBA fan. I did too. <laughs> I was like, you're not wrong. But the repeated disappointment. I mean, I don't necessarily blame LeBron. I don't think he's acting as maturely as he should be. He's clearly putting on a show on purpose. Um, I imagine it'd be pretty frustrating when you're playing as high level he is and it just doesn't matter. I mean, that's got to be pretty frustrating. I'm not going to get into it because everything I'm going to say is going to be super biased. So otherwise, it, 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 everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, Mitch Holtz, Celtics fan. Well, thank you for the reminder. Um, but was it a foul? Sure. Was I happy they didn't call it? Absolutely. It's a no It's a no call at the end of the game. I get it. I mean, I mean, you don't want the refs to decide the end of the game. However, it was a foul. I'll agree with that. Um, was I excited that it happened to LeBron James? Absolutely. And then what did the did the, the dramatic – like the dramatics after it all make it so much more funnier and slightly worse at the same time. You betcha. It, it, it hurt to watch, but also I laughed and we were over watching it with Susanna's family and watching the game. And her dad's like, nice. why is this man down on his knees, begging and pleading? Like he's pleading to God. I mean, it was like he was standing at the altar pleading to God about this. So it's awesome. just super funny, but no, yeah, that's, um, that's enough LeBron James talk for the day. Um, we are going to be right back. Aaron, so Aaron, explain explain to the people what we're going to be doing here after this quick yeah. break. So our next segment, uh, one of my best friends, Morgan, um, from back from back home in Iowa City, best friends growing up in junior high, high school, etc. Um, he texted me out of the blue, just this idea for potentially solving tanking NBA draft, and that sparked some thinking of my own. So I know we're at the midpoint of the season we're right near the trade deadline where teams Mm kind of decide their fate and their trajectory for the end of the year. Um, It's not clear who, which teams are tanking right now. We know who, what the bad teams are. Um, But I think it really becomes accentuated after the trade deadline when teams clearly decide what they're doing. So we thought it'd be a nice time to talk about how we might be able to solve, you know, the watchability, the fan enjoyment, all of that stuff that goes along with tanking and the NBA draft. So that's going to be our next segment, talk, talking all about potential ideas, how to solve that issue. All right. Well, we'll be right back with all of that. All right. We are back. 
how to solve the NBA, Mitch. This. Wow. Okay. Hold on. What, a, what an intro with how to solve the NBA. I mean, <laughs> we are oh, we are the masterminds of changing the NBA over here. There are many issues with the sport we love, Mitch, and the league we love. Um, players getting notes, rested. How to solve the NBA. <laughs> yeah, players getting rested night to night. I mean, we saw the viral fan who drove like or flew however many miles to see Jimmy Butler, and of course, Jimmy Butler's benched. Um, and all this stuff. He ended up making it up to that guy, by the way, I saw, which was pretty cool. Good for him. Um, but we have another huge dilemma that has been around for a while, and that is tanking. Uh, and my good friend Morgan, as I prefaced just before we went to break, uh, he came up with this interesting idea um, that I have some thoughts on, but curious to see your thoughts. So right now, as you know, Mitch, the lottery is structured in sort of like a regressive order so the worst teams in the nba have the highest chances of reaching or receiving the number one pick right and so on and so forth until the the 14th worst team has the 0.5 percent chance right and then it drops off um so morgan came up with an interesting idea here um which he sadly is unable to share because he's sick right now so hopefully he feels better but what he said is, so what if the NBA reduces the likelihood of a bottom three regular season team has to receive the number one pick to 10% and have the other odds reduced as well? So that's part one. So right now, those bottom three teams, worst teams in the NBA have 14% chance to land the number one pick, right? So reducing right. it by reducing it to 10. So the top three picks would have the top bottom three teams would have a total of 30% chance to get the number one pick. Right. And you would okay. somehow reduce the other ones. I'll get to the math later because I think. Okay, cool. Because that's what's going to need to help me out right here. Because <laughs> you're going to somehow need to get to 100%. Right. But right. the big portion of this is that you can raise your chances. You're not locked in to that percentage. You can raise your chances by trading away future first round picks. So for every future first round pick you trade away, you can add 2% to your likelihood of receiving the number one pick. So you can trade up to a maximum of three years worth of picks. Picks can't be from the same year. Um, so hypothetically, let's say the Detroit Pistons this year wanted to up their chances of 6% of potentially landing Victor Wabanyama, right? Right. They're at 10%. They trade away their 2024 first-round pick, their 2025 first-round pick, and their 2026 first-round pick, and they now have a 16% chance to land Vicky. Um so that's potentially his theory is that like you can mortgage your future even more so to go all in on a specific year. You don't have to trade away three years. You can just trade away one year's worth. Um, it also helps like the lower teams potentially up their chances. Like if you were just an okay semi-competitive team, you can now have a better chance to land the number one pick by trading away a future first round pick, which I think would make sense because, um, you know, it's not like if you're a decent team, you don't necessarily need future picks as much as a bad team would. Um, so that's the theory I can get into more of a case study, but I thought it was kind of interesting in, in that you don't necessarily have to be a terrible team to have a decent chance of getting a first round pick. If you end up trading away some, you know, some of those picks. Okay. So the other thing I'll bring up is, so we're just then kind of disregarding the rule of how you're not supposed to like to trade like back to back picks like the same like so you can't trade 2023 2024 and 2025 draft picks to the same team correct so you can't because uh, you can't like trade the 2023 and 2024 draft picks in the same trade right okay. so i guess you could you could split it out yeah okay you could spread it out you don't have to okay. do back back to back years okay so okay I've got some ideas, but I'm going to, I'm going to let you cook a little bit here. So let's hear a case study because I'm, okay. now I'm curious. Okay. So the Detroit Pistons, right? So let's, let's just say they want to only trade two first round picks away. They don't need to trade away three. So they're currently one of the worst teams in the NBA. So right now under this proposed structure, they'd have a 10% chance of landing the first round pick. They trade away two picks, two future picks to get a 14% chance. Now they have the highest chance to land the first round pick, the first overall pick. My question for Morgan was this, it, like in order to complete the trade, they would have to trade with the team that has at least a 4% chance of having the pick. Cause like where, 
Like, where does the 4% come from? Like, it's a mathematical question because eventually you're going to need to still total up to 100%, right? And right. so you need to at least find a trade partner or two trade partners that add up to that percentage that you're wanting to add. Uh-huh. Um, so let's say they add up to the team that has 4% chance and they trade both their picks and some, then that team just knocks themselves out of the running for that year's first round pick, but they end up adding two picks. Like, I think it's mutually beneficial in that way. You're able to add assets and sort of bank, you know, let out on a year that you don't really want the number one overall pick, for example. So no matter how many draft picks you get, so shouldn't it only affect like the year of the draft pick you get though? So like you could only lose like 2% of the year you, of the draft. So yes. like, so yes. say if like the Pistons trade to the Heat, say they trade like the 2024 pick and like the 2025 pick, you'd only lose 2% in the 2024 draft and 2% in the 2025 draft. Is that right? So I, my understanding, the way he said it is you would just lose the percentage in that draft. So the 20, so like, for example, like we're coming up on the 2023 draft. Yeah, you trade a 2023 pick and a 2024 pick. You're only going to lose the percentage for the 2023 year. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And I think it's a nice way to sort of for those middle teams. It allows a lot more flexibility for them, and therefore, this incentivizes the top teams. Like all of a sudden, the 10 percent or whatever it is right now, 14 percent, isn't so much greater than one of those middle teams because either the middle middle team can move up or they can just add more picks in the future and continue to do that and allow the bad teams to just tank for one year. But also the bad team then isn't able to tank year over year over year because they just traded away their picks. Like they kind of got to choose one year you want to go all in, right? Next point is this. If you're building up draft percentages, you would need a draft pick though. So if you're trading your draft pick, how are you going to have – if you're trading the draft picks for this certain percentage, yeah. how are you going to have a pick if you're trading the pick? Well, you're not trading that year's pick. Oh, you're so you're just trading future year's Futures, pick. yeah. You keep your pick. Your pick is there. All you're doing is increasing the probability that that pick is the number one pick. That's for all that certain year. Yeah. You're just adding okay. another like ball to the rotating wheel that the NBA pulls out of or however the fuck they do it. Okay, I'm starting to understand it. Like yes. I understood it, but there there were some holes that I was needed, yes. needed to be needed to get figured out here. I'm back on the holes thing. I need so my ahead. yeah, God, let's not go there. So my my one issue that speaking of poking holes in this, my one thing is just a mathematical question because right now there are 14 teams in the lottery that right. add up to 100. percent And so if well, you're reducing the odds of the top ones, you're going yeah. to have to either add percentages to the bottom, which I think would further disincentivize the worst teams in the NBA to be the worst teams in the NBA, or you're going to have to expand the lottery. So, so that, was my only, that was my only issue. So there's 14 teams in the lottery, right? Yep. So 14 teams. So 30% is already taken up by the top three teams. Right. So that leaves 11 teams to split up 70%. So that gives – that doesn't make any sense. Right now, it's just like descending. Like the fourth worst team in the NBA is 12.5%, and then the fifth worst is 10.5%. So you could just sort of tick down until it makes sense. But I think you would have to choose a number um, that is – like they'd have to be in closer increments. Like well, only that is 9%. You know. Well, not only that, so here's what we're leaving us, though, with. You're leaving us with an average of 15% points to each team. No, that doesn't make sense. What? Hold on. No, because you you wouldn't average it out in this scenario. It would still be a regressive. It would right, just I know, but be... even still, like the top team, like that number four pick would still have more percentage points than if you're doing it regressive. You're the, top, the number four team would have more percentage points than the top three teams based on that. So, so you have 70% yep. left. Wait, hold on. How is this math working on my head? You might be right. And I'm just like, oh, because you could just now. do like nine, like the next three teams could have 9%, like, for example. Oh, okay. So, like, each, they're like the next group of teams would have. So, it's yep. like you're splitting the teams up into groups. You can, you can figure out a way to get there, I think. If otherwise, you'd have to expand the lottery to outside of 14 teams to get the math there. 
which I think would also, again, reduce the incentive for the worst teams to tank because you're just opening the door to more teams. My other thought was just make it four teams in the bottom rather than three. Yeah, you could also do that. Regardless, the the interesting quirk was the the trading. Right, and I I do do like that. that. I thought that was a really cool way to go about it because I see both sides of it, and it kind of makes you go all in on one year and potentially screws, you know, like if you don't have future, if you trade away your future first round picks, those years that you don't have first round pick, why the hell are you tanking? You know, you have no reason to be bad unless you're just bad then whatever. But like you have no reason to purposely be bad in those years. So you know what we need to do? We just need to make like this like a little series we got going on here because I know two other people who have different ways to eliminate tanking. Yeah. And one of them would be one of the Johnson brothers and Adam Johnson. Mm-hmm. This would be a good thing to like just start doing, like getting ideas from people who like want to eliminate tanking and how they should do it. Because this is a good one. Yeah. I like his. So if you're done with this idea, I have an idea to propose as well. And okay, then two so others I want to mention. Okay. My idea is similar, but without the trading, basically, is you expand the lottery to 16 teams, which I think makes a ton of sense now that the play-in tournament exists. Mm. And now you're including all teams that are represented at the play-in tournament. Those who secure the spot outside of that, the top six teams in each conference aren't included, right? Okay. Um, But now you're expanding it to just be the play-in tournament. So let's see, there are 30 teams in the NBA... That's 16 teams. Or 18, right? 18. No, it's so it's it is 18. You're right. Yeah. Wait. Because no, 12. 16. Well, there are 30 teams in the NBA, no? <laughs> right? It is 18. I can't do math this morning. It's it 18. is it's eleven fifteen in the morning and I can't do math. I don't know what's wrong with me right now. It's yes, you're right. 18. Teams. Okay. Right. Okay. So you expand it, which I think makes sense. Um And then the other thing you do is you restructure the odds in half to where it's not regressive, but more so like the the worst nine teams out of that 18 have equal chances of landing the number one pick. And then the Mm -hmm. next nine teams also have equal chances. And the way that that works out, I think I'm going to have to redo the math because I actually did eight teams at first. Um, But basically it ends up where the, the nine the front half nine and the back half nine have pretty similar odds. Like there's a slight difference, but those teams that are right. pretty competitive have a very good chance of getting that number one pick. Right. Um, and I, I, I just think it would further reduce the chances that the worst teams um, have to secure and make it really plausible that like a playoff team could actually end up with their one pick, which I think would be cool. Um and there's no reason to be extremely bad just for the sake of a draft capital. Like if you're okay, you still have a really good chance. So I think it would encourage teams to sort of just like build slowly, build a culture, actually try to improve your team. Um, that's just one of my ideas. So if you do the math, like that first group of nine, like the bottom nine teams would get around almost 7%. It's like 6.6%. And then okay. the next, the next nine would be around like four and a half. Okay. Yeah. See, not, not a bad, big difference there. And so then we just remove all the other teams, like this, the one through six seeds in each each conference. They have no chance. They have no chance. Okay. Uh, getting a getting the number one overall pick. I don't hate that. I don't love the. So I did it by sixty forty. So like the top nine teams, we get sixty percent. The bottom, the other nine teams, we get like forty percent of like the opportunity to do it. Maybe yeah, you can do it like seventy thirty. Yeah, I don't hate it. I just don't. Because then it's st- you're right. It's not like terrible. You, you so if you miss the playoffs, you have a good chance of getting a pick, a good pick. Yeah. And I mean, like, why why would you want to be a twenty one team or a fifteen win team? In that scenario. I mean, if you are, you are. Like, that is what it is. That sucks. But I I don't think there would be any reason to purposely be as bad as teams have purposely been in, in that structure. Okay. Um, Two other quick ideas that I okay. saw. You might have heard these. Randomize the draft lottery completely. 
I've heard that. Uh, so this was actually, you may know this as a historian. This was when, that's how it was when it first came into yeah. being in 1985. Yeah. Uh, so it actually worked out because Patrick Ewing was number one pick that year and they were the second worst team in the East. Well, it also worked out because it was rigged because the NBA rigged it for the next. That's a theory. Yes. But I, I so, don't yes. It so I have upsides and downsides. So I think it completely disincentivizes tanking upside. Downside invites conspiracy theorists that the league is rigged. <laughs> think about it. The Lakers could get like three in a row and we would all lose our minds by yeah. we, I mean me. Yeah. Because like now you can at least convince yourself, well, technically, you know, they had a higher percent chance. Like that makes sense in my mind. Uh, when it's completely equal, it's yeah, kind of shoddy, which I guess would be a downside to my potential idea of restructuring the odds. And that's what I was thinking. Like it, it, it still in, it incentivizes not losing, but like, oh my gosh, we are one piece away from being a really good team. Let's go like lose two more games just to make it into the play in. And maybe we make the playoffs and then we can maybe make a run here. And guess yeah. what? We'll get a top pick next year. Yeah. Totally. So, I don't know. That's, that's another thing. One last idea. Okay. Getting rid of the NBA draft. Okay, so let's not go too deep into this because I, I know Adam Johnson has his thought process on this. But, yes, I do. I have heard this one. So, I personally don't see a ton of upside with this. I think okay. the biggest downside is that rookie salaries would get completely out of control. Um. And I'm also not sure if it completely rids tanking because in order to spend the resources, meaning the money and the roster space to land these top players, you kind of need to be a bad team. Like, or you need to just be really smart about your roster construction to where you have an expiring contract coming off. And then you have all this cap space and a roster spot. Like, let's say you have, you know, Tobias Harris coming off of a contract and then you're the Sixers, like, and you don't want to resign him to another five-year deal. Yes, you're a pretty big market team. You're really good. Maybe you have enough space to get a top pick, you know, a top a top player rather. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you could have instances of that where just the GMs are really, really smart about lining up expiring contracts to a specific draft. But other than that, I think you kind of still need to be a bad team to have the money and the roster space for a top player. So I don't really know if that would help. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really at this the I, I I need to rehear the theory again because you've brought up a great downsides to it, the the negatives to it. But it, Adam has some. I'm blanking on the positives right now, and I need to yeah. I need to rehear I don't, it. I don't so remember either he he mentioned it in passing in one of our pods we did together, but I I don't remember either. And I think there is a reason for it. But the article that I was reading, I didn't really see much. <laughs> upside in it i mean the draft is kind of an antiquated process i think in many instances and i think people have moral issues with it so in that instance like this is kind of a player empowerment yeah. option i think that's the positive but again i think it just like how the fuck do you value a person that's never played an nba game and just you have a blank check and you figure out what their what their salary is like i just think it get completely out of control absolutely and then, and then teams but also teams would screw themselves Yep. You know, which I guess, you know, do whatever you're going to do. Like if you screw yourself, that's your fault is my view. And but... you still keep the salary cap, I believe. So, but you just inflate it a little bit, but so that way you can try to get more guys on the team. But it's like, basically yeah. it's, it's, it helps the smaller market teams still have a chance to go get these guys who are like really good. Like, so like if you're a small market team, who's good the, the, the year before, you can still have the opportunity to go get these guys because that's what the small market teams have issues with. Like it's hard to like attract free agents in that way. But when you have like a rookie who like, Oh my gosh, this seems like really good. We can like actually go help them out and like actually be a good player for them. But the thing, but the thing is, is that the draft then becomes free agency. So like guys might not want to go fucking play in Charlotte, you know, like they want to go play in somewhere else. They might. And I think it does kind of make it interesting. Like you, learn who a player is before they really come out like Mm -hmm. all right what are they valuing like do they want to go and win and they're okay taking a smaller pay cut or or do they really just want the cash and or do they not care how successful they are or where they are but i don't think it solves the free agency question for smaller markets completely like there might be some players who think that way i would say the majority especially in today's culture 
nah, they're some of these some of these guys aren't going to want to go play in in the Charlottes and the Oklahoma Cities right. and all that <laughs> stuff, man. Not going to no. happen. Yeah, Oklahoma City would be a tough one to, <laughs> to go to. Um, but you're right. We'll figure it out. And yeah, honestly, I think we should make a little mini series of this. This would be something yeah. we like. We I I know next week we will not have the opportunity because guess what, Aaron? We're going to talk about on cereal and brews. We're seeing each other next weekend, yes, and we so we we'll need to figure out a, a, the week after All Star break. We might have, be, might be able to get one of the so one one of our buddies on to give us some insight on another. Uh, non tank uh eliminate tanking idea yeah and if it's this eliminate the nba draft idea i want to hear the positives we will we'll, we'll, you know what i'm gonna get adam on the phone right yeah. after we get off this so that way we can like get him uh, get him set up with us right now i'm against it that's where i stand that's fine and we will figure it out from there um what we will also figure out is um how much we like the uh, last of us show um yes. that will be coming up here on cereal and brews after a quick break We are back, and um, and one show that has taken, I'd say at least America by storm, uh, is this new show on HBO Max called The Last of Us. Um, mm-hmm. It's based off a video game. Aaron, you played it through, and let me ask. The, let me start here. Where does it rank in like your favorite video games? Like, does it get top twenty five? Does it get top ten? Does it make it top five? It takes number one, Mitch. Oh my lord! I didn't actually. I was. I came into this not even knowing that. Okay. Yeah. No. I. I guess I've never disclosed how much I love this game. It is the best story game I've ever played. Okay. Like story driven game. Uh, I loved it at the time. Um, I mean, there might be games that I played more, like maybe have more nostalgia, like all the different two Ks, just because you have oh, so right. many versions over time. Like some of the battlefronts. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, like all of that stuff, definitely nostalgia there. But in terms of how much I enjoyed the short time that I have at The Last of Us, because with those story games, it, it really depends. Like you can fly through it. Um, yeah, I probably played it for maybe a month, but it's it's just such a good story. I mean, you're I'd never experienced something like that before at that time. Um, I'm not a huge like. Violent gun game person right. in general. Um, and I don't I don't have a lot of experience playing those story driven games either, like Red Dead Redemption would kind of be one example I would have. But that's kind of like an open world aspect too. at a certain point. You kind of just do your own thing, mm-hmm. whereas this is clearly along a timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an amazing game, a beautiful game, too, as you can tell by the show, like, right, really, really creative um, and now super timely because it's all surrounding a pandemic. So <laughs> that's also very smart that they decide that to start to develop that now right um but it's awesome man i i would say it's if not top one top three for sure so on my side of things i've seen gameplays of the game um i realized this after we got off the phone this morning so i i remember watching some buddies in high school play it but don't really remember that and i remember you were playing it a little bit in college there was this YouTube like channel that I would watch like in middle school, high school, and they played a whole gameplay through it. And I'm remembering that that they did a whole gameplay through Last of Us, and that's why I'm remembering most of this show so far. And like, we can talk about it as we get on, but this show, I mean, this this game is you're right, one of the best story games that I've ever watched slash played. I mean, yeah. I one of the I, I don't play many story games either it's not like something it's not something like i like was drawn to like growing up i was very much of a sports video game guy or star wars video game guy um mm-hmm. i played the uncharted series which was incredible to me um but i also do understand why people love this this game and and both games so i am i'm excited uh we are only two episodes in episode three comes out tonight um definitely will be watching post uh afc championship game um and so i'm, I'm excited just f- f- to watch the series goes on i'm also excited to see how much of that first game they do in season one right yeah i'm uh i'm considering buying it because i'm pretty sure i played it originally on the ps3 mm-hmm. and it's now available for only 20 dollars on the ps4 so oh, aaron i will be purchasing that um and taking that through <laughs> and we can i can show you firsthand next weekend when we're together but it is an awesome game i know there's a second one out now i've never played that one really um, yeah i i just 
I didn't even know it was out to be honest until the show came out. So, but it's the the way the show is shot too. I will say this is so much like the video game, like what right. you, you might be able to tell from watching gameplay, but when you play it too, you just like, you get these flashbacks. Oh like, yeah. This is exactly what I remember seeing and playing in the, the pans like, from, from like the yeah. backseat, like spoilers, but like from like when they're driving in the truck, getting out yeah. of like this out of the town and you're like in the point of view of the girl in the backseat, it is incredible because you do it, it does feel like it feels like the you're playing through like a cod gameplay and like yeah. you're a call of duty gameplay and you're you're like the camera's turning for you but even yeah. still you can be like looking around and like doing with the the analog stick like looking around and doing all that stuff and you're right it does have those kind of like shots yeah and yeah it's just it's it's hard to describe to somebody who's never played video games like you just don't you don't know what that's like to to view in you know a video game that way like but it's it's just the, the way they've shot it is brilliant and there, there are other instances of it like when you walk outside of like you open a door and then all of a sudden you see like the big landscape and like yeah the way they paint around it's like how you would look around with your joystick and whatnot so um it's yeah it's awesome also pedro pascal we can't forget to mention him love him like one of my favorite actors um and he's great he's perfect in this role um so that's he's played in he's played in some of our favorite uh series Aaron. yeah the mandalorian how much whoever we like that or don't and game game of thrones small character in that but even still just a big character for that season that he was in yep um narcos narcos great i i've had to tell you this i watched like the first two seasons of narcos during covid and loved him in all of it so i uh very good actor oh he's also in uh not that you ever, did you watch like the equal equalizer movies with uh Denzel Washington? Mm-mm. He's in the second one. He's actually not half bad in that either. So if you okay. ever get around, <laughs> if you ever get around to watching the equalizer, um, nice. one thing I will say. So so far on IMDb, I would just I did a quick little search. It is a nine point three right now on IMDb, wow. which IMDb is very stingy with its ratings. And so for it to be that high so far, I'm loving it. Um, I'm excited. I I am excited for sure. Yeah, I mean. Just- yeah the imagery is awesome like the little green space in the in the abyss of mm-hmm. this you know apocalypse like the way that the sunlight comes through certain uh holes in the roof and all of a sudden there's yeah. this patch like that stuff um is really cool and obviously just like the the faces of the infected mm-hmm. they become like these mushroom weird freaky creatures like it's so fucking scary when you're playing that game and they're chasing you it's it's one of the scariest <laughs> noises slash feelings you ever feel. Well, and so we both have girlfriends who weren't like big video game people at all. I, Susanna was a Guitar Hero 3 person. I mean, what, did Madison ever play any like sort of video games with like, her siblings? Uh, Probably Wii um, right. stuff, but like I, I don't think anything serious. Right. So like not story mode games, which like we got lucky growing up, like our introduction like to quote unquote story mode games was like Lego Star Wars. And so like when you die, you just respawn right in the same spot. And so trying to explain like a story mode game to them is kind of a little like not a foreign language, but also like kind of hard for them to understand. Like, okay, so if the main character dies in the game, what happens? (laughs) And you're like, like, oh, you go back to this checkpoint, you're back to life you're not actually dead <laughs> or the game just shuts off and it just burns and you, you got to go buy a new one. You got to start from the beginning. Um, but it's go back to a checkpoint and try to explain it to Susanna because she was actively interested in like this kind of like how it like works. And so mm-hmm. I think I thought about showing her um, how the uncharted games work one night, but then I also know if like I get 15 minutes into it, and I don't die. And she's like, well, this is easy. So like, I, I had to put yeah, like, uncharted. You, you can go for a long time before you die too. Like, Right, you're right. Because it's kind of you're just kind of hanging out, doing like kind of like a red bed. Like you can just wander around for a long time. Yeah, you in run Last into a little... us, you, in Last of Us. You're just like forced to move forward to danger every five seconds. Yeah, you're right. And 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 Uncharted is like a nice little middle ground, I think, because it's not like open world like Red Dead is. Yeah, but it's not like Last of Us where you're actively moving towards death. Yeah. <laughs> well while there some, are like there are some journey moments in last of us too that like they allow you to tell the story right but uh, yeah it's not nearly close to what uncharted and red dead are yeah red dead was yeah i think uncharted's like a nice little middle ground between those two um yeah. but um 
you brought it up earlier. Aaron, we are uh, seeing each other for the first time since, what, November? Mm-hmm. Um, since we saw each other in Columbia. Uh, actually, I, I, I did come and see you uh, in Chicago for, like, a quick dinner in December. Yes. But yes. Um, first time we're actually going to be spending a weekend together um, next weekend in Chicago. Uh, and I'm excited, man. Yeah, me too. Uh, we're going to a Bulls game on Saturday night. That'll be sure. fun. Your first bowl game, Bulls game, Madison's first Bulls game. Oh, um, Madison's coming too? Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Um, so that'll be fun. Thanks, Nate Chelnick, for the student ticket discount. Absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, so that'll be fun. We'll do some other stuff, eat good food as always. Um, of course. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a great time. Um, hopefully Otis doesn't scare you too much. I, I know you've started to get over your fear of dogs, but he's getting bigger. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you aren't shitting your pants once you get here. Well, listen, listen, like I said, having a girlfriend who has like a medium sized dog is nice. So that way it's like, it's, it's enabling me to like get my fear of dogs out of the way. And like I've since COVID, I feel like I've been a little better about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to see how Otis, who was like on my shoulders when I stopped there in December, was how much he has grown. I know you guys, you and Madison have both talked about it, just like how much he's grown just over time um, and just so yeah. quickly. So um, is he still a pothead? <laughs> Less so um, because <laughs> now there's snow on the ground. So nice. It covers it up nice. But uh, <laughs> I guess no longer a pothead, not because of the lack of desire to be one but maybe because of the lack of availability we've just we just cut off his supply it sounds like the world just was all against him being uh being so so i'm yeah. uh it needed I, to happen oh definitely we we probably should have nipped that in the bud a little earlier but you know we're, we're better about it uh, yeah. now um one thing i also wanted to bring up so i am very excited for next weekend um It'll be my first Bulls game in Chicago. I saw the Bulls when they had D Rose and Pau Gasol, like early 2010s mm. in Oklahoma City. We actually ended up staying at the same hotel as the Bulls. Got to wow. take a picture with Pau Gasol, and uh, it was a wild moment because I was like five, I was six foot, and this guy's seven one. I'm like, I'm like, hi there. Um, I did not know that. Oh yeah, like actually, I was in high school. I was a junior in high school. That was terrible. Um, but it's also my first time seeing the Trailblazers. I. I'm going to be seeing three NBA games in like less than two months in all in three different locations. Now they're all like, well, Boston's the one that's not like super close, but like Indianapolis and Chicago are like two close ones. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to go, man. It'll be a lot of fun. I know. I'm double checking right now that it's not a back to back for anybody. Because uh, I'm going to get really disappointed. I didn't look at that. It was kind of our only day to do it, anyways. So I mean, yeah, Sunday. I think wait no, I think the Bulls do play Sunday. Okay, it's the front end though. That's good. If I remember correctly. Let me see here. February third, yeah, the fourth. Well, okay, the... so the Bulls have a day off and they'll be at home the previous game, so no travel. Right. The Blazers are on a second leg of a back to back on the road. Who do they play the first night? Washington. Ooh, we will see. Hopefully, Hopefully uh, Damian Lillard plays. That will suck. <laughs> well, either way, we get to see some good NBA. Um, the other True. thing, the other thing I wanted to bring up that I kind of brought up off air last time. So it, the podcast has made its way around my work, um, and oh. um, when I say that, my boss's boss somehow found it. I somehow found it. He just saw that I posted on my Instagram story and started listening to it one day. And then he loved the fact that I called Joe Ingles to lick my taint. And then so it was after that that I have sort of now re- regressed from my use of taint on this podcast. Um, if you if you've noticed that. Also, just some of my terms, just sort of lessening that. However, <laughs> Luke Moyarty, if you ever listen to this again, please let me know so that way I can continue to just not sound like an absolute dingus as I come into abstract the next day. Um, anyway, but only that, like a few of my other buddies uh, who are NBA guys have started to listen to it. So I was, uh, we're, we're going the, we're going the crew here. Love it. Absolutely yeah, love it. Yeah, man. Um, all right. Well, thank you all for listening. If you are abstract people, please tell me if you listen to this. And so that way I know. Um, anyways, thank you all for listening. Have a great week, guys. If you're not following us, follow us at, on Twitter at Hooper's Almanac. Um, we'll be recording next week in Chicago. I'll be there with Aaron. So we'll be recording a podcast one of the days I'm there. Um, yeah, we are excited 
see each other and then go Nuggets, go Celtics. Um, please continue to stay in front of the, everyone in your respective conferences. Um, and yeah, have a great week, guys.